0: The idea is, as soon as you say that, as soon as you buy into that whole thing, that there is a politically correct... I mean, the phrase itself draws the line.
1: You're
0: saying, this is politically correct.
1: Yeah, in I think the idea was, of the term, what most people thought it was, at least, was just a correct way to not necessarily police what you're saying, but, you know, just a politely mannered way of phrasing things, but... It what it's evolved to, and I think what its intent was, for since the term was coined, was to police what you can and can't say, so you can't have uh, political dissidents, you can't have these enemies speak out against you because they're just not allowed to say that. Welcome to the Generation Zion podcast with Todd and David. Together, they discuss the war against God in the world today. to the second episode of Generation Zion. I am David. And I'm Todd. Uh, so today we're going to be talking about the evolution of politics. So I am still young. I'm Generation Z. Todd I'm Generation about... X. Uh, yes, yeah, the silent generation, right?
0: Yeah, you know what? I, I feel like I, I maybe I... we've been silenced, but we didn't start off silent
1: i think that i think the um the term silent generation comes from the generation that just didn't say a lot they just kind of sat there and lived through it and just you know rolled with the punches that's how my dad put it when i talked to him he's gen he's gen x but you know with all the the boomers you know what they did to the economy introducing credit scores generation x was the beginning of a, a, a political experiment really not just in politics in general, like speaking about our government, but politics as a definition, just decision making in general, in law, in finance, in everything. Because you see these, you saw these new rules and laws come out uh, from the boomers' generation introduced into Generation X's, and they just kind of had to live with it. And they were like, no one really said anything until, I feel like now uh, is when people are really recognizing it. Uh, all these new uh, policies that the boomers introduced to them. So, uh, you got anything? You know anything? Well, you know that?
0: what? I, I think of me as the silent generation. I think you're. I think you're right in what you've been saying. I almost feel like the generation Y has been the silent generation, uh, but. I think we've been silenced because here's the thing: is that when I was starting off um, in my adulthood, so all through high school, you know, rock and roll was still king. Rock and roll was out there, and rock and roll is always about being an individualist. And you know, UBU was a, was in the uh, in the late '80s and maybe even early '90s was a, I think uh, it was a marketing slogan for like Reebok or, or uh, Nike at one point. And it was UBU and everybody had to be individual. Everybody had to make their own noise. So it wasn't that everybody talked the same. I feel like the boomers tend to all speak in the same way. Whereas with Generation X, it was all about making your own noise. So it was about this collective noise they were making. The problem is that somewhere along the line, we've been silenced rather than being silent to begin with. I don't understand my generation. I don't understand why we have been cowed into being silent or kind of going along with some of the stuff that in our high school years we would have been right against because punk rock was still was still um, still there the the spirit of punk rock. Punk rock came out in the the mid to the late 70s. But it still was there because even though it wasn't, you know, I don't know how big it was in general, but punk rock was still had its imprint on us. Yeah. And no. we all wanted to go out and sort of be punk rockers. Right, and
1: punk rock, I think the whole, not just like as a genre of music, it was like, be be against authority, speak out against authority, be your own person, like you said. And I think that that ideal has transferred over to millennials, really. I don't see Generation Z adopting it as much, but that ideal definitely evolved or devolved really <laughs> to uh, the Millennials, and they kind of adopted it, um, not really as this punk will never die kind of thing, but just the uh, spirit of it, really.
0: Well, I even think if you look at the punk rock of the the two thousands, um, is that was a different type of punk rock than the punk rock that that I knew of I mean the, the clash was one of those classic punk bands that still was in the into the 80s so just as a, an idea I, I went to high school from 80 to 84 84 to 80, uh, eight, 84 to 88 and the clash was still around the police were still around even though they were kind of thought as, as fake punk rockers um, but there was a lot of people and then it was like in the 90s when um, well like green day came out and and other bands, and the reason I'm talking about rock music like this is because it was like you said it was it was more than just music it was a a, a lifestyle an ethos of of sorts of being rock and standing up for yourself and being individualistic and my generation started like that,
1: and there were A lot of Christians against that, like Puritans, really, are Puritans, um, especially. But regular Christians were, like, against all that, you know, punk rock stuff in general. They were.
0: They were. And do do you you think that, like,
1: kind of started creating a split between, like, music and Christianity? Or does it go back further?
0: No. No. See, the thing is, is that in my high school years, like, Christian rock kind of really came into its own and then the and there were Christian punk bands um, and really they weren't necessarily well known at that point they kind of kind of more solidified in the 90s and they were there were punk bands and I, I'm sure that they're Christian punk bands but again the punk bands that you think of um, and Green Day probably was the last real punk band uh, that was widely known after that some of the
1: other punk quote-unquote punks were really like emo new emo stuff how, how does that work exactly like a christian punk band I, i'm getting yeah. a little off that's right You're already but but no
0: but th- um, this this the... feeds into all of this f- feeds into all of how the world was working at the mm-hmm. time w- with christian punk bands it wasn't it it was more like it was that was based on the music first off and they love the th- loud thrashing music
1: right and punk is like based off of like disregarding authority and most people view God as an authoritative figure, so how does that work lyrically speaking? Like, how what did they sing about exactly?
0: It was more like, um, and, I, and I'm trying to think of some some songs that would be that would be applicable. But the the idea would be more like instead of being God is the authority you rebelled against, it was the God of this world, Satan, that you rebelled against. Mm. First off, okay, or which he, this was even. Um, this was, I think, even more relevant to us, is that it was at the time when there were a lot of these grand televangelists that were. This is when televangelism, televangelism. really took hold, right? So you is had, that like,
1: is that like uh, what we do today with like uh, recording our our uh, sermons and things like that? Well, is that what tele-
0: the televangelists were people like some of the televangelists are still around. Some are. Um, Jim Baker uh, it, it was one. He he was a televangelist to some extent. He was a different type, but Jimmy Swagger was a big televangelist. There was a guy named Ernest Angsley we used to make fun of all the time in my high school. Um, and really it was them using kind of the Billy Graham evangelistic model on TV. The problem with all of that was is that they were shiny, flashy. Obviously, there was this feeling that you got that later on we kind of got confirmed that it was about the money. It was a flim flam they were out to sucker people, particularly older people people who would be suckered. so punk bands might rage against that
1: you know? so so against like the people that are in it for the money you even see that today like I feel like it' has been like throughout all of history since since Jesus was born like uh I think you could say it even began when, when Jesus went to the church and whipped all those guys that were. Trading in the church, they were in it for the money. They were using uh, the house of God for marketing and trading and money in general. I know it still happens today. People are just using the word of God to extort money from Christians. And it's really effective because the better of a public speaker you are, really, or the better diversity you are in the word... You don't have to be Christian. You just have to know it and sound convincing enough to make people give you their money. And the sad part is a lot of people fall for it under a false guise of goodness. Like, all this money is going to go to charity or we're going to feed all these poor people. But they're just taking all the money for themselves. And people fall for that all the time. And it's disappointing. And I hate that it happens.
0: Absolutely. But I think part of it, too, is the fact that there are a lot of pastors, preachers, uh, evangelists, we'll just call them, um, that what they do is they set themselves up as the prophet of God. They may not use those terms, but they set themselves up as such. So what happens is they set themselves up to say, what I'm saying is came right from God. Like they just went to the mountain and they're just back with, here's what God just told me. And I'm telling you this and what happens is that a lot of people th- are suckered into thinking that, oh, God must be talking to me from that person. And it happens in small churches. It happens in mega churches, And so you see this where people then feel that it's their spiritual duty to give money. It's their spiritual duty to do this, um, the, to give the, some kind of obeisance to these people. And that suckers them in many times. So going back to like the rock music is that those were the kind of authorities. Those were the kind of authorities that we raged against even in the church. So you saw people. um, One of my favorites, and he wasn't necessarily punk, but he had the ethic of punk about him. His name was Steve Taylor fantastic and he raged against all the christian phonies in there he's fantastic he's still recording today and he was uh, somebody who really created art as well and that was something that was truly different but the idea about this was that my generation said we're going to speak out against everything we kind of inherited some of the 60s mentality, but it got filtered through the 70s. And then in the 80s, it was about your individual rock. I'm standing up and I'm, I'm telling you this. And and if you're bad authority, I'm going to be against you. I think that we were many times more reasonable than the 60s hippies. Because at that point, there was a certain point back then when they were like, don't trust anybody over 30. right? For us, it was in, the, in, in some senses... Um, like you if you're over 30 you may be you still may be cool but in a sense it's like we almost had it where you don't trust anybody unless they earn your trust you know it was that kind of thing so i think there was a reasonableness that we could be earned our trust could be earned by these people but if you didn't we're going to rage against you or not rage because that's that was a stupid that was a stupid term that came up later but we're going to speak out against you, and we're going to—we're not going to just follow because you—you uh, you guy in guy in the polyester suit and the select back hair with the Bible in his hand and be all the just because you're there. We're not going to do what you say. We want to do what God said. So, from a Christian '80s point of view, I think it was more along those lines rather than anything else. At least from my perspective.
1: So, a lot to unpack there. Um, so, I just want to backpedal just a little bit like well, not speaking out
0: not well not speaking out because a lot of people are are have been brainwashed into thinking that if they say anything against the pastor or a preacher then therefore they're somehow saying against god it's not unlike it's not unlike fauci saying you know i'm the, i am science you know that kind of whatever he said it, it's not unlike that kind of thing because they almost put themselves in the place of god you know, I preach at this church here, and, and I tell people, look, I, I spend time re- studying, praying about this, going through and preparing my sermons. But I am not giving you, the Holy Spirit's not dictating my sermon out of me. It gives me wisdom along the way. It gives me wisdom as I'm speaking. Sometimes I might say things or not say something because I'm feeling, okay, this is how it should be. But I don't think they earn their trust. See, I don't think they earn their trust. I think that they they snooker people. That's different. People many times these days think that they've got to blindly trust. They, they think that's what trust is.
1: But it's not. And I think a lot of these false prophets just are easily manipulate people that don't actually read the text in between the lines, especially. Because I think it's highlighted a few different times in the Bible. Um, I haven't read through it in a while now. I I need to reread my Bible because it's been years. (laughs) I'm guilty of that as well, as a lot of these people are. Um, They don't read between the lines. They don't actually study the word. And they allow themselves to be duped and manipulated by these people because they forget to be wary of false prophets. Exactly. And these people calling themselves prophets... Maybe not directly, but uh, but indirectly, really, by saying, "Hey, I got this word from God the other day. He sent me a text message in my brain," <laughs> kind of thing. Uh, and they they just let themselves get duped by that. And I think most people think it, they'll they'll say it directly to you. They'll say, "Hey, I'm a prophet of God, and I'm here to give you the word that He gave me." And that's where people really get tricked because they. Some people really just need you to tell them directly, and they just can't think for themselves.
0: Well, the thing is, Acts 17, the Apostle Paul goes to the church in Berea. And, and it details in there, that's sp- this specific thing saying that the the people at Berea searched the scriptures to see if what Paul was saying was true. And they were praised for doing this. And what blows most people's minds when they think about, it, when they sit down and think about it, this is the apostle Paul going to these people. So if anybody you would think would be like, well, Apostle Paul says it, it's got to be true. But no, the Bereans searched the scriptures to see if what he was saying was true. And again, they were praised for it. They were not saying they were not castigated for it by saying, oh, that you should have believed it because it was Paul. That's one of the biggest problems. People don't even necessarily read the lines. Let alone between the lines, you know.
1: So I, that comes down to like just not having access to a lot of old uh, texts and scriptures. Like the Catholic Church removed a lot of books from the Bible alone. I have a old 18th century uh, Bible. I'll show you that one. Some I think I did show it to you. I'm not sure. You told me. About it. Yeah, I do have it. It's an old Catholic Bible, and it has almost every single. Book that was removed from it up and from then till when it was made till now. And I know that a lot of books were removed because they can't be, they had a lot of research put into it, a lot of old scriptures pulled up to verify. But I think a, one of the really important ones that are removed is, and we can talk about this later because it's off topic, is uh, the Book of Judas. And a lot of people bring that up because. They say that uh, God told Judas he would have to betray Jesus. That's what he has to do because you have to fulfill the prophecy. And I haven't had a chance to read it yet, but I just want to look through it and verify that. Um, but again, I don't know if it's really, really uh, set in stone that whole book because it was removed. And again, a lot of them were removed because they're just not trustworthy sources of information. And I still even can't confirm that or not if it was just removed because the catholic church wanted to manipulate people not to say that they do i mean they definitely did back then uh, there were a lot of uh, bad people in the church even today there's a lot of evil people in the church i think i read a article um to get us back on track article i think it was like written in the 60s about communists uh, communists getting into the Catholic Church and putting out their rhetoric through the word of God and twisting it to uh, turn people communists, really. And make the church look bad as well. Well,
0: I, 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 that, I mean, that fits with something that uh, a woman named Bella Dodd has, has claimed. And Bella Dodd, uh, if you read Schools of Darkness, uh, or School of Darkness, and it, it's one of the two um, it has uh, for her she was uh, a former Catholic and that that became eventually became a communist part of the Communist Party and she became some kind of leader within the Communist Party I have the book I read the book um, actually a few months ago um, but one of the things that she claimed is that they the Communist Party infiltrated the Catholic church by sending in people who would be priests, become priests and, you know, then obviously you become priests and at some point you can keep moving up, become cardinals or bishops. I, I have no idea. I, I, I really am not uh, extremely well-versed on the whole Catholic thing necessarily. I, I know some of this stuff.
1: Yeah. Uh, uh, Catholic- Catholicism. I personally believe now being a former Catholic Catholic, uh, that it was used as a way to, just based on what I've, I've studied, it was a way to get pagans to convert to Christianity. You can still, basically you can still do all these rituals and you can do all these practices, but it has to be in the name of our God now, it has to be in the name of Christ. Uh, and that really did bring a lot of people over. Because it was, yeah, it was like the thing back then mm-hmm. to be pagan. <laughs> I mean, I, th- I feel like it's making uh, a turn today as well, especially with what is it Norse pagans. Um, <laughs> I, I, w- I actually work with a Norse pagan. He's an interesting fellow. <clears throat> so he prays to Odin. And- yeah, no, I think he has. Yeah, Thor like uh, amulet or whatever wears it. Uh, I think it's kind of lame, but. Do your own thing. Uh, Eventually, you'll come to God anyways. (laughs) Hopefully.
0: Well, yeah, hopefully. Um, But, you know, this this was the mentality of my generation came out of the 80s with the idea that we were going to make our own way in the world. We were going to fight for truth, justice. And at that point, it was still the American way. The American way was was broader was maybe in the middle of its dilution you know the the whole idea of america was still that america did some bad things but america was still america and if we could just you know take care of those bad things then america still was a good thing nowadays that's no longer the case but we were very much about being individuals and and having our own voice
1: yeah and millennials really adopted that idea especially um leftists i think and not that that's a bad thing having your own voice um i think it really started with uh leftism though and in the left i think that's where it started uh because i think growing up uh conservatives were really like one one minded one path and you see that that creates a lot of infighting in both parties really and you see that especially in the left especially with like um I think there's a yeah there's a group called gays against gays against groomers um, they call <laughs> it's I, funny because the acronym is gag I, I, and, I follow them on Twitter oh really um yeah they they made a post on Twitter about like a billboard they were gonna put up against transgenderism and that Transgenderism is inherently leftist, so it's creating a lot of infighting in that group and you you could say that um being you can be a homosexual and be a right winger as well um but it's it's more like those ideals are more concentrated on the left, so that would create a lot more infighting with them, and that really affects who they get in political positions and whatnot but Back to like 80s activism and individualism, they, there were a lot of people like getting together and going to protests. Do you would you say that it would be the same across the board for both left and right in that time, or was it still more mostly leftist? I would say protesting? protests
0: were mostly leftist. I think that the type of protests, when you think of protests, you think of more, they, I would say they tend to be more uh, uh, leftist. Um,
1: yeah, like, I'm talking, like, the go out there, raise a sign in front of a Capitol building or state house or something. and.
0: But I would say that the thing the things they protested were more larger issues. Like, um, I can't remember what year it started, but, like, when Farm Aid started. Mm-hmm. Farm Aid started because it was to support the American farmer, and they felt that the... Um, the republicans had been really setting up setting up a lot of policies that would that would harm the
1: farmers so it was for farming
0: you know it was it was for this type of thing Can you elaborate for... on what that is
1: for those who don't know what it is what, what, farm aid yeah
0: farm aid well farm aid essentially was just a uh, a big concert that raised money for for uh, for to benefit the farmers now I have no idea how much it actually benefited farmers because, unfortunately, because before that there was Live Aid. You know, Live Aid came out in the in the mid '80s, and Live Aid was a big, you know, this big concert. It was a huge, famous concert. It was the Woodstock of the '80s. Woodstock was the big '60s concert. Right. This was the uh, Woodstock of the of the '80s, where you had things going on in Philly and a big concert in Philly and and one in London and they were going ahead you know all the big all the big uh, names were doing and it was to raise money for Africa to for the famine in Africa
1: yeah I probably didn't actually get a lot of money going to there because you gotta pay for the venue you have to pay for all the people going uh, yeah I mean they raised a lot of money
0: and I think there was money that made its way to Africa the the, the problems on the other side may have been political as well as some of these things you know May not have uh, have been all that they were cracked up to be, but again, you painted this big picture of like, oh, we want to help, we want to help Africa, and there's starvation in Africa, the famine in Africa. So you had this, you had the, there was a big song to raise money, oh, we are the world, and that was you know that was a huge so was that, song.
1: I, I wouldn't say that's inherently leftist at all. I think that could be uh, more yeah, That would involve both sides really. Anyone who's a humanitarian, really, absolutely. That's that's not isolated to the left, absolutely. But
0: that was that was prompted by people who would co- refer to themselves as being on the left, and while people on the right may want to again be part of that whole thing, they it wasn't necessarily even a protest. As that was a big money maker, raising money for uh, for charity. But most of the protests that I remember were more of those along the lines of these these bigger ideas, and rather than. Like we wouldn't necessarily see protests for speakers that were coming to universities, for example, and, oh, we're going to protest this. It was, for us, part of the rock and roll mentality in the 80s was still about free speech. That was what we were fighting for, because a lot of people felt that the Reagan era, the Bush you know, picking up at the end of that, and all that, the Republicans were against free speech. They were, again, the Puritans who didn't want to you can't say this you can't say that mm-hmm. and so we were all about you know as a as a group but it was all multiple voices i think one of the biggest things differences i see now it is, <clears throat> is that there is the same voice every time i see a protest now it's the same chance that are going it's, it's the same thing you have to say these things you have to do these things And the thing is, where I see the pivot point for all of this from my own life is the
1: mid-90s. And that was the the true ascendancy of political correctness. So, basically, back in the 80s, there wasn't as much political division. Um, Most people got together. Even even people who claimed to be leftists and would describe themselves as that made these huge events that would get money for a cause that pretty much a lot of people cared about on both sides. Um, so there was no really like you believe in this if you're leftist you believe in that obviously there still was like on big issues but I think um, today even you could divide each other even smaller issues just you know supporting something smaller would either make you leftist uh, make you conservative or a far right winger a Nazi socialist whatever because even democrat like traditional democrats are getting pushed to the right because they support the right to bear arms and traditional democrats back then did support that um but today you can't be you can't support gay rights and like guns at the same time like at least as a huge political figure because the majority on the left are against that so it's this little thing that you might support that they, you know they push you away because you don't like that thing and that that's besides the fact that um leftists are arming themselves now they still hate guns at the same time they only want cops to have guns but they still hate cops it's just a whole thing there's a lot of there's a lot of there's a lot of of, um yeah there's a lot of contradiction contradictory beliefs on the left and i and I, i find it hilarious well
0: you know when i was growing up we didn't think of it as leftists as
1: leftists. They, they they were leftists
0: many times, in, at least in the United States. There may have been leftists like in in other countries, Central American countries. You had certain things that were leftists or right wing. They were kind of separated more in other countries,
1: right? And you wouldn't even see the term liberal being thrown around back then, would you? Well, you would. You would that. You would. When you was would. that term you, coined?
0: You would. Well, the, 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 that 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 term goes back a long way because the classical liberal was what you think of conservative now okay right so but back then the you wouldn't call someone a leftist you might refer to someone as liberal but back then you would see a fence right there would be a fence and on one side of it would be Republicans on the other side would be Democrats. And yeah, there would be that fence in between. But basically, they could still be neighbors leaning over the fence talking to each
1: other. And now it's a huge concrete wall.
0: Yeah, now it's separated. Now it's been going. And you're absolutely right that the traditional Democrats, the people that we would think of as as liberals in, in my youth, would be now really on the other side of the, the
1: so, fence. So liberal back then was more, and I can see why, the literal definition of liberal which means you're just okay with like a ton of things basically what libertarians are now right well like,
0: maybe to some ex- to some extent like
1: the type of libertarian like i i support gay couples defending their weed farm with ar-15s that kind of libertarian <laughs> basically
0: well they some some of the democrats won't even really necessarily be at that at that point um but the idea of liberal was just a tag and conservative and liberal was just the tag that went with Republican and Democrat at that point. But it was a friendlier thing. And like I said, they would they would be on opposite sides of this ideological fence, but they still would be neighbors who would be could lean against the fence to talk to each other.
1: Because their I think back then their their ideals didn't cause life changing effects for the other side. Like if I using the fence analogy. If I built a radio tower in my backyard, that's going to affect my neighbor's property value. It's it's like huge, huge ideal, huge problems now that create this division that are going to affect the other side, whether it passes or not. And it's well, I
0: think back then you can have a reasonable conversation with each other, and people are reasonable, and people who I, I grew up in a room a family that was Republican, and you could have um, a Democrat neighbor, but it would be very, they're reasonable people. They're, they, they may think that raising taxes would be a good thing to help out with the general economy, and, you know, they, they may be for um, certain, some kind of foreign policy, but generally they were... You know, there was a lot of general agreement, just differences on tactics or differences on strategies of how you go about it. But a lot of times back then, people were proud of America. People wanted would consider themselves proud Americans, and they would be able to shake hands and know that they could shake hands with good consciousness, even though they voted differently that was not what it is now and and that is where it became leftist and i think again going back the rise of of the popularization of political correctness
1: was the key i think uh, in you that tax one is a really great example because back then taxes didn't really affect people as much as they do now so if you're a leftist supporting increasing taxes now to help group a b and c obviously a lot of people on the right are going to be against that because taxes are just so taxing now.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, and I think, you know, you could agree with them or dis- agree to disagree and be like, well, I don't support, you know, raising our taxes to fund this cause, but it's not really going to hurt me if, and I can still live the way I am today if that bill passes and all that money gets to this group to, uh, or the social program. But there's just so many social programs today that just aren't working and all of our tax dollars you know 40 million to ukraine you know you gotta you gotta pay 25 percent taxes now because you know ukraine needs money and a lot of people are going to be against that now because they can't live the same way they were back then and your your income can change on a dime these days mm-hmm. <laughs> literally it's very true. It's very true. But the thing is, is taxes back then were
0: I thought I think think they thought differently about them in some ways. They they still they still were taxes, mm-hmm. and they it really was dependent on. Well, you know, we want to help these people out over here. And again, the the economic differences were were slighter. Um, they might have been, like I said, there were there was a fence there. They were on there, but there again, they, they well, there were, wasn't
1: as much as a class gap as there is today.
0: Right, and that, that, but I'm not, here the thing is, that today, I don't know if we know exactly what that gap actually is. I'm not saying there's not a gap, or that it's, it's not wider, but I think that there's been so much misinformation by administrations, both Republican and Democrat, that we don't know actually what it is. Because I think nowadays, the the leftism doesn't have anything to do with Republican or Democrat. Right now, it's essentially Republican and Democrats are two wings of the same bird now. So the encroaching fascism, was people love to throw out without even knowing what that means, but the encroaching fascism that um, the the left talked about, like with the Bush era, a lot of people thought, well, okay, we got to do this for protection when the Patriot Act came out. And at that point, there was so, so much division in there that I think a lot of the right, a lot of the right did nothing clearly about the Patriot Act because they were snookered. A lot of the people who voted for it were people of my age on, on up who still thought reasonably. But the Bush administration, Putting through that Patriot Act was a complete treacherous thing that the, the right should have completely against. Right,
1: but at the time the thought was, oh, we need this because you know, we just got attacked. So problem reaction solution. We we wanna
0: have right, the we wanna have the solution being we wanna have more control, we wanna have more surveillance, we wanna have these type of things, therefore and you can go into you can go into uh, what the attack the n- true nature of the attack, and that's a whole other conversation.
1: God, I want nine eleven is a whole thing. Yeah, it's a like, whole other conversation. There's so many so much you can talk about on that. Like, was it was it an inside job? Was it not? There's just so much. There. We we can have a whole episode on just nine eleven alone.
0: We we can we can certainly do that.
1: I'll even write that down.
0: But what we what you have though is that. Many times at that point, the left and right were so far apart, the gap had widened there. Forget about the wage gap, the income gap. The gap had widened so far. Do you think it's that... just because
1: of the Patriot Act, though? No, no, no. I, no, I, no. I, say I think, think the
0: Patriot Act fun. is a milestone you can point to to say. Just as an example, like the tax analogy. Yeah, the mile, it was a milestone that came in, and a lot of a lot of the left were rightly against it. But they were against it because Bush, the Bush administration was proposing it. And therefore, they've gotten, and quite frankly, it was the politicians who had done this little manipulation. They were the new televangelists who were, who were suckering people. And so the left was totally against it, rightly so. And so the the right was like, well, if the left is against it, I'm going to vote for it. Yeah, and there was no longer reasonable thought.
1: And I I forgot who said this, but someone made a great point. I was talking to someone before, and I don't know if they, uh, they probably didn't, like, come up with this, but... They, we were having a conversation and the term politics is the new religion came up and in a way it absolutely is people will quite literally worship who they support Absolutely, and they can do no wrong uh, especially with this administration right now I'm not going to say a lot about it because I don't want to get zucked but you can do no wrong you, even if you don't fulfill your, co- your campaign promises you can't do anything wrong and they'll see so much happen, and all this crap, and they just keep on pushing for this person because they're not the bad guy.
0: <laughs> well, it happened in the previous administration, too. There was a religious, oh, absolutely a religious kind of People, equality about that whole yeah. thing, and there's People still, absolutely still People absolutely they, they, they want a second coming. They want a second... I mean, they mm-hmm. always talk about it that way. I've seen some very weird things that people put out about Trump and comparing him to Jesus. Oh, yeah. And it's just very weird. Whether you like what his policies are not, we've gotten to that point where you're absolutely right. Politics has become this weird religion. I don't know if politics was religion back in, the, in my day. Politics may have been in, really inherent to what your life was because... Hey, I'm a Republican. I'm a Democrat. But it was not this weird religion like it's become.
1: Well, I think people compare, like, Trump to Jesus as an example because more Christians are right-wing. I think it's just inherently right-wing, like, religion. And you can just see that. I, I can't really speak for Christianity as a whole, but you see more Christians on the right, and if leftists add their own Jesus in quotes... Um, can't see my fingers on a, a podcast, <laughs> but if they had their own Jesus, I think they would compare Biden to that, you know, their Jesus.
0: Well, I think their Jesus was Obama. I think I do. I think their Jesus was Obama. And, and so I think, uh, I think the, the halo effect and quite frankly, it was, if Trump wasn't there, I, I don't think that Biden by himself would have as much of this glow to him. But I think a lot of it was the halo effect from uh, from his connection to Obama, and the, but at the same time, you have got to go against the that guy, which is the Trump, and and a lot of times nowadays, um, the knee jerk reaction. Anytime you have that knee jerk reaction, I got to go against that guy because it's their guy. Then you've lost that kind of reasonable kind of quality to your thinking and quality to the conversation i think a lot of people
1: are beyond reason today yeah. You know, you see that vote blue no matter who <laughs> and
0: i think that's that's um it's all by design i mean i really do i think so going back to the 90s right so here's where i see this pivot point is i started you started to hear about this term called politically correct the political correctness which is a weird thing for people to adopt who wouldn't or normally adopt it right so it it was not a new term in the 90s but it came it kind of reaches its its popularity in the 90s that's where it kind of ascended to it was started to be talked about the end of the 80s but it's a term that goes back goes back to the marxist leninist days was used actually during the hitlerian um and, and, and after with the idea that there's one correct political way to think and you if you're going to be on the quote unquote and I'm doing air quotes now uh, right side of history then you've got to believe this way you've got to talk this way you've got to this. so in the mid 90s is when you heard political correctness be widely used it was before it was used in in America in more niche ways but it was widely used, and it was used from the top. You heard, uh, I don't know if you heard Bill Clinton. I remember Hillary Clinton uh, talking about it. I remember her talking about this. But the idea is as soon as you say that, as soon as you buy into that whole thing, that there is a politically correct, I mean, the phrase itself draws the
1: line. You think this is politically correct. Yeah, it, in I think the idea was of the term, what most people thought it was at least, was just a correct way to not necessarily police what you're saying but you know just a politely mannered way of phrasing things but it what it's evolved to and i think what its intent was for since the term was coined was to police what you can and can't say so you can't have uh, political dissidents you can't have these enemies speak out against you because they're just not allowed to say that you know it's a,
0: I think you're absolutely right in how you how you put all that. I think it's a, it's a clever but unfair rhetorical device to sneak into something. Because as soon as you brand something as politically correct, again, you've drawn the line. So if somebody doesn't say it the way you say it, therefore, they're politically incorrect. And that's a very leftist way to think. Because if you remember, I think we mentioned this about Alinsky in the last episode, where Alinsky was all about drawing that line and you had to polarize them. So we're right, you're wrong. And when I also mentioned uh, Lakoff, I think, I don't know if I mentioned Lakoff in this little blue book, but when he talks about all politics are, are, are moral, like there's moral quality to all politics, you have to draw the line. What that means is that once you draw that line, what you believe is good, what they believe is evil. It's no longer a difference of opinion. It's no longer two neighbors being able to lean against the fence and discuss how much taxes should be done. It's now, I I believe in good, you believe in evil. And so that's where political correctness was now used as a tool by saying this is politically correct. And <clears throat> they made fun of it many times. In fact, there was a, there was a book that came out, I remember, called uh, Politically Correct. Uh, bedtime stories and it was mm-hmm. just all fairy tales that were redone as if they were politically correct. And it was, a, it was, a, you know, it was, a, it was, a, it was a, so they just took, they just took
1: like book. Disney stories and multiplied it by 10. Right? Yeah. It
0: was, you know, like Cinderella or, you know, it was uh, <coughs> little red riding hood and six bad wolf. And what they did is and they, the way they described them was all quote unquote politically correct. Cause then it became, that's where you started to hear terms like, um, even like, oh, there's something impaired. And so people will be saying, like, I'm height impaired. Like, it, they would be something that would be impaired. Like, I, I'm vision impaired. I'm not blind. I'm vision impaired. And so to say that kind of blind was no longer acceptable, I'm I'm no longer deaf, I'm, I'm, I'm you know, I'm, I'm hearing impaired, some of those things sounded very neutral. Like, the two I- items I gave you right there sounded very neutral. But it started going, all of these things started going along the lines where you couldn't Call them by their old names. You couldn't use their old their old terms. You had to now use this neutral term. You had to use uh, what would essentially be their version of general neutral terms, as well as as well as. But that's when the rise of African American came up too. That really was when it, it really reached its peak. During the nineties is when you they were no longer considered black. They're they would be
1: termed African American. That was the new politically correct way of describing something. It's funny you bring that up, because uh, it if you're blind, you can't even say you're blind now. You know, it feels like, if you're talking to like certain people, like, oh, you can't say that. You know, you say visually impaired, or you can't say someone has a speech impediment, you can't call someone. And, and I understand for the word retarded. You know, you can't just call people retarded anymore. I wouldn't, you know, go around calling people. I mean, sometimes. But, Generally, I don't go around calling people retarded because you know it's just not a word that a lot of people use to describe slow people anymore. You know, they say they're a little uh, what what, what would the uh, correct term be for? uh,
0: Well, when I was working in the 90s, I was working with that population that would used to be called retarded, and retarded is an actual English word that's that's the thing, it means just that means to. Uh, slow down. That you retard something. You're slowing something down, right? Yeah,
1: and but, uh, it's, it's a Latin root, and it's used in French too. I forget how they say it in French. I think it's just literally just retard, and that and they say in a French accent retard or uh, whatever.
0: Yeah, it very well could be. Well, we called them, for example. We were told that we were supposed to call them. We couldn't even call them handicapped anymore. We couldn't even call them handicapped. We had to call them developmentally disabled.
1: Developmentally
0: disabled, or developmentally delayed, and I personally have a beef with the use of disabled, particularly for uh, people or people mentally challenged, many times. And I just use air quotes again, but that those were the terms you could use. But we also, I worked in a deaf school, and you could not say deaf and dumb. Because that was pejorative. Hearing impaired is what you had to say, which was fine. And that's, they were hearing impaired. But what people don't understand is even the phrase deaf and dumb. Because because along the way, the word dumb became um, equal to stupid. That's what it meant. People thought you were saying that they were deaf and stupid. That is not even what the word dumb meant originally meant dumb meant that you couldn't speak it was the same basically the same thing as saying mute and that along the lines you couldn't say these type of things so no longer you had to come up and this was one of the problems when I started it was all of these things because I worked with that population from from 91 through 96 and The terms even changed along the way because now this new thing, that's where you started to see that political correctness wasn't even a kinder way of saying something. It was now a fluid way of saying something. And and things now had to, if they were branded politically correct, you now had to speak it that way. You could not use the other term. Even if the other term was as neutral as the one you were given,
1: you couldn't say it. So do you think that those terms only became derogatory because they let it become derogatory?
0: Well, I think, like, for example, deaf and dumb. I think dumb, most people know dumb by the idea of being stupid. And it it became derogatory much sooner than, than the political correctness wave. But... I think that one right there, that, I mean, language does evolve. And so I have some amount of sympathy for when, in you know, when the word dumb became just a term for stupid as opposed to mute. Then I, I understand that you don't want people to think that you're saying that somebody's stupid, but I'd rather reclaim those words rather than, just say, well, we can't use that word because people think it's stupid. I'd rather reclaim the word. And it's, it's amazing how the atmosphere of political correctness creates this fear, this anxiety that, oh, what am I supposed to say? It made everybody like, what, which, which word am I supposed to say now? And there were times when I saw people absolutely afraid to use the word again, black, you know, that's really the, that's really the main race that i heard something like asian american came in but with asian americans they're very much more distinct like if you think of africa you you nowadays if you know nigerians you might be able to say oh i know they're especially by their name that's nigerian they're nigerian but it was it was very difficult for your average american to be able to dif- differentiate between those who are nigerian and those who may be from from uh, i don't know uh, the congo or or chad or you know those those different areas along there to make those kind of distinctions whereas with asian with asian folk you might say well there this one this person's from japan this person's from china this person's from korea there was a distinction there but you still the politically correct term was asian american so but the 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 key was is that you had this anxiety, like, what am I supposed to call it? You still have it today, even now. I mean, it's it's just ramped up even more. But that's when it started. It reached its peak, and I would say started maybe like in the late 80s when we came popularized. I mean, it's just been sort of the idea of political correctness. But as a institution of speech for America, late 80s, and then really then hit its stride, I would say, 93, 94
1: i think it really depends on who you're talking to if you're talking to someone who's not to be politically correct intellectually challenged you can just say the words like oh he's asian he's black you know you can describe that to the person you know if you're describing a person to someone else for example like it just depends on who you're talking to i guess but from political perspective perspective you it feels like you just have to say those things no matter who you're talking to especially if it's in public Mm -hmm. because then you then you give someone an opportunity to take what you're saying and twist it
0: oh absolutely and the the leftist tactic is to twist whatever they can sometimes you don't even have to say those things and they can they can twist it so that's part of the that's part of the the problem with doing that dance is even if you don't Really, do that—that that, uh, dancer. Whether you do that dance or not, if somebody wants to wants to twist your words, they will twist your words, and even lie. They they might even completely outright lie about what you said. Even if there's even if there's video or audio proof, and all they have to do is lie and besmirch you. It's sort of like if somebody if somebody um, if some there are certain lies that if somebody spreads about you. You, even if you are completely innocent, even if you are are completely exonerated, that lie will still stick to you no matter what. Yeah,
1: who is that? Um, who is that? Bolder? right? Uh, he
0: was he. Where was he? He was of?
1: running. He was he. He's here. Oh, he it, lives it, here. It, oh, in New, Hampshire. New Hampshire. Yes, okay. I should have been more specific. But he was running in New Hampshire. I think he was running for governor, right? And. Maggie Hassan made a really good smear campaign against him, and basically, the ad said it took like what he said and twisted it, like he's like like I said earlier, and what basically was the woman who want to get an abortion or got raped or something, just get over it, and that's basically what they ran with, and I think that really had a huge, uh, it took a huge hit to him because uh, he was not running. It campaign against her he was very uh prof- he was very a lot more professional about his uh, campaign than she was i think and that really uh, i mean did she get elected i should probably stay more versed in who my government officials are but i'm not sure because... she
0: she did um and the thing is there have always been it was political... it was
1: senator it was senator i apologize it was not governor it was senator but there have always been political dirty
0: tricks from the beginning of this country and you know the the fact of the matter is there have been times when the gulf between opposing parties have been wider than other times and then you go back to the beginning of this country and i mean there were some really dirty tricks and a lot of real smear campaigns that went on in, in our founding fathers in that that era
1: i just uh, i think i think he didn't uh run it because he was he's completely new to politics he he would. He was usually the guy that you know took orders from the top. Um, I mean, eventually he was at the top, but for most of his military career, he just took orders, and he didn't really talk down to anyone. So he didn't really have that idea in his head that he has to. I don't think you necessarily have to to win a campaign, but it plays a huge part to get people to come over to your side if you can take what someone says and twist it. And I think that really helps uh, leftists leftist a lot because they don't have a they, that's just, they just don't have that moral foundation and that, that goes without saying people on the right too I have to say it you know people on the right some people don't have a moral foundation but I think a lot of again with a lot of right wingers being Christian they have that moral foundation of what you can and can't do and I think on the left it's a lot more to use the literal term liberal with what you can and can't do politically speaking uh, to get what you want because they just don't have that moral foundation. Well,
0: not only is it that moral, that kind of conscience about what you would do, but many times on the left, the leftist, whole leftist mentality being the ends justify the means. And I'm talking about the leftists. I'm not necessarily talking about any individual who might be Democrat, but the leftist mentality is the ends justify the means. So many times, not only do you not have a conscience but your conscience is actually soothed by the fact that as long as I get into office and as long as I can further these, these uh, leftist policies, or you might not even call them leftist policies. You might actually buy into it and just think, these policies, these are good policies. Then it doesn't matter. Whatever I do here is worth getting into office. So it's a good thing then that I do these things because the policies getting pushed are going to be worth whatever I do to get there, so it actually becomes a skewed kind of morality where doing evil is actually for good because the
1: ends just by the those. means, and they, they they do this all the time, and just goes back to uh, having a moral foundation. Like Christians, I I don't think if I ran for office, I would ever. Smear run a smear campaign against you who know, I'm running against because I don't mean to toot my own horn, but I just have self, you know, some semblance of self-respect for myself. I don't want to make myself look like a bad person, and I just don't think they care because the people on their side don't care what they do to get there. But on the right, they care. I think they care about what their politician looks like, and that's the that's part of the problem. I believe I I don't want to say. Go out of your way, politicians, and, and smear you know, and smear campaigns against your uh, enemies. But it's 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 the pant you you pander to who you're arguing with. Like for example, if you bring up mass immigration and that's a huge problem in this country, you're right now bringing in millions of illegal immigrants, um, and you're you speak out against it against and you're talking to leftists, so they are going to say, oh, you're just racist, and you go and say, "Oh, I'm not racist. I, you know, I have like ten Mexican friends." And as soon as they you start pandering to them and trying to uh, morally justify yourself. I think you've lost that argument because you are. I just you're just pandering to them, uh, and you just completely derailed your own argument. And I, that doesn't mean just say, "Oh, yeah, I am racist. I, you know, I hate Mexicans. Enough. I even hate those guys in the back." Mm -hmm. Every single one, Um, but you have to you have to stand your ground, and I don't think a lot of people do that when they argue. Um, No,
0: and I think that's why a lot of people really love Donald Trump because he was standing his ground. Mm -hmm. He wasn't cowed by their um, their attacks on him. In fact, he was so good at what he did that he just you know they would send a volley towards him and he would just hit it right back at them. Without necessarily, honestly, without necessarily having to smear them or to try that, they would. He just no, oh, no. He never... absolutely, he absolutely smears them like.
1: But he, he sleepy Joe. But he Criby didn't even and... have to
0: smear them though. I mean, honestly, it he can just point those out now. Not saying that he didn't play hardball along the way, and maybe he did some smears. But I'm talking about when they would send him something his way, he would just send it right back at them. Never really apologize for anything that he said. What I think the, the problem many times with, when we think of, again, I want to make the distinction between the right and the left and between Republican and Democrat, because there are Republicans that I would consider as being leftist. They have an R after their name, but they really are leftist. One of the old tricks in the political book is if you don't have success with one letter after your name, you jump ship and put it the other letter after your name, and you'll have a lot more success that way. You may have the same policies in mind, but you now have this now an R after your name. And people are like, oh, you have an R after your name. I want to vote for you. It's been that way a lot of people have jumped ship. Sometimes they've jumped ship for actual ideological reasons. And they truly have jumped the ship. Or they've gone to the other side because they they have said, you know, I don't really believe this anymore. Or... The Democratic Party that I grew up with and that I was a part of is no longer there. It's now more along the lines of what is the Republican Party. So I'm going to go over there because they're more friendly to me than the Democrats right now. But the problem is, is that when they do that, again, the left fights unfairly almost all of the time because that is their ethos. Their ethos is... And that it comes from the ju- just by the means. You can't have a rational conversation with a leftist and expect that you're they're going to play fairly. You can say this is what I believe. Oh, you believe that? This is what I believe. But you can't expect even to talk them into it unless they have a come to Jesus moment. They're not going to change their mind, and they're not going to fight fairly.
1: So you say that, and. I'm the normal response I think would be you know we just need to play harder we need to break some rules but I just don't think that's the case because if we did and I feel like some people have even tried to but today it's you we, we even see it to, just a few days ago when that guy was um arrested not a few days ago I think it was a couple months ago now there was a guy arrested for um quote trolling Hillary Clinton supporters Oh yeah. end quote um, and now we're at this point where we're just openly arresting political opponents and I think that's a huge reason why you don't see conservatives come together because they're afraid they're going to be arrested and thrown in jail without any trial in sight down the line and even the Capitol rioters, they're still in jail they're in, they have no, they don't know when their trials are they've just been in there for a couple of years now ever since fines has been like ever since they And there are still people that went to the Capitol uh, Riot the riot and are still being arrested because they're coming. They're uh, either being found out or People are telling on them from family, leftist family members being like, oh, uh, yeah, this guy my family. He went to the riot uh, You should go arrest him <laughs> And it's hilarious how easily you you can betray a family member for your ideology.
0: It sounds actually like the scriptural description of the last, of the last days. It is uh, it, it is it really is is amazing to think that those things are happening in the United States. Although when you go back in history, there are things that have happened in the United States that we really think, oh holy crap, I can't believe that this happened, like the internment of the japanese during world war 2 and putting them in the concentration camp was it the death camp that was in 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 germany or austria no but they were put into a concentration camp in you know in the uh, the it was the northwest area i think there were some some california i think there were some in either oregon or washington but those things, if you say that would the United States ever put people in a concentration camps most people would be like, no, I don't know what well, would in, in during World War II. Mm-hmm. It was a Democrat uh, administration that did it. And a lot of people were uh, really in favor of it at that time.
1: Well, I, and, and, and that's a big topic. Like today, if we went to war with China, would we do the same thing? I don't think we... Could like just think of the political just the backlash that would come from that, especially from the left. And I I don't I don't think that would be a thing we should do. Um, I think people both people on the left and right from it, but it would be more uh, emphasized on the left. But I think there are some things that are necessary, especially in war in a culture as diverse as ours. That that doesn't mean if we go to war China round up every single Chinese person, but um, even today there are spies from china in our government and we know that but there's just nothing being done about it and it's it's either because a it would be racist to do so or b we're not doing it because they're paying us off you know the chinese government's paying us to not say anything and there was a politician i forget what his name is right now but he was i think he's still in his political position uh, he was. He slept with a Chinese spy. Swellwell, yeah. Eric Swell. Uh, yep, that was him. Yep. Chinese spy ties. Yep, it was him. After, yeah, he's a Republican as well. I, which surprises me because Republicans are, you know, the ones that are like super hard against China.
0: But that's the thing. Again, that's why having an R after your name is, is no guarantee. That's what's so difficult. And honestly, I tend to steer people away from um, from politicians altogether. In fact, I have, I mean, I, I don't even think that there is, that voting does what people think it does anyway. And even if it does, let's say that the votes, let's say that all the elections are clean. For both, you know, the 2016, the the 2020, let's say that both of those uh, elections were clean. You don't know anymore who you're actually voting in. You know just some little dance that these people have done and have done for you. And so, you know, I remember Marco Rubio, everybody thought he was going to be one thing before he got in. He's been some of that, but a lot of other stuff since he's got in. That's a perfect example because they thought he was going to be the the next chosen one. I can't
1: even remember the last time I heard about him. (laughs) And he
0: has, you know, there are some things that people who voted for him probably would agree with. Other things are like, I I wouldn't have voted for you if I had known this. You just don't know. And part of the problem is I think DC is such a complete cesspool. But also when you go... To Washington, you have to compromise your principles somehow. That's what I think is part of it. I really believe you have to compromise your principles because even the quote-unquote bipartisan, uh, the the way it is now. I mean, you look at the the last that um, that bill that was passed that was for the um, uh, was it the Affordable Care Act? I don't know if it was the Affordable Care Act, but I'm, I'm trying to think of the exact bill, but. When Nancy Pelosi said, well, what, we have to pass it to see what's in it. That's the state of our politics right now. You don't even know what's in it that people are voting for. They're getting thousands of pages a couple days before they're supposed to vote on it. And there is very little debate, if any, on some of these things. And all of a sudden, these things go through. Part of the problem is that I think there are some decent people who get caught up in that swamp. And yes, is that swamp. It is a swamp. Before Trump came on the scene, it's always going to be. A, it's going to be a swamp. It's the nature of politics.
1: And uh, with the names uh, of bills, there's it says one thing, but it's thousands of pages. It has all of these other things they want to put in. So it's that's completely unrelated to the uh, name of the bill, and they use that against politicians uh, or right wingers. Really, I think. Uh, like the bill, and there was one in Florida that basically took um, all of the LGBTQ stuff out of like the curriculum, and it was it was called "Don't Say Gay" bill. But what it would have actually done, ah, it was called Florida's Parental Parental Rights in Education Act. Yeah, it doesn't even say gay anywhere in the text. Yeah, it would prevent the bill would prohibit the instruction. Or discussion of sexual orientation that's basically all it did uh but it, a bill could be labeled um and this is a hu- it's a huge issue it could be labeled feed all the homeless children in america act or bill and it could be about sending 10 billion dollars and it could say 10 send 10 billion dollars to ukraine mm-hmm. and people will vote against it because they don't want to send more money to ukraine and then people will say oh you're against feeding homeless children in america oh, you're evil, but that's not actually what the bill said. Okay. And I I would be all for uh, making a limit on how long a bill can be and restricting what can be talked about. It has to be related to the title, which I don't know why there isn't you know, a law for that. Because um, it works for both sides. Yeah, yeah I know. It, it absolutely does. Sides. It's convenient. The, the same as lobbying not being illegal, not in the sense of informing politicians um, but paying them off, kind of lobbying. <clears throat> but there's a there's a whole other plethora of issues. But that's uh, you know when it comes down to bills, that that's the uh, biggest issue. And it's not in it's not in terms that most people understand. It adds a bunch of things that uh, aren't even in the title of the bill. Uh, and I don't know if it's just today. Or in recent years, has that ever happened before, from what you can recall?
0: I don't remember. I don't remember that it was, uh, well, I, I remember, but I don't remember that it was like it is today. It may have always been thus, because I don't know if what was in the bills was as available. Like, now, you can find so much on the internet. I mean, when I was growing up, there was no internet, so... You could possibly find out what was in the bill, but you'd have to go to, you know, some somewhere in it. I don't even know if our local libraries had. Them. And I grew up in Baltimore City, and so we had big libraries. Maybe, you know, maybe there we could have looked up what was in the bill. But then, then again, you're still dealing with having to probably deal with hundreds of pages. Now it's thousands. Maybe it was the thousands then. So it's hard to know. it really is. I don't remember it being advertised
1: like that in the media so so, for all we know, and I'm not going to go out of my way to read every single bill that's ever been passed. So for all we know, that could have been happening forever because there was just no law it's, you know. it's very possible and I you think could, you could also say that it just wasn't necessary back then. maybe people were a little more honest back then, and there were definitely people who weren't honest throughout all time but there probably just wasn't as much as a need for a law like that i absolutely i think well you know
0: i think some laws have changed one of the things i think that would if you're going to ask me what would fix the government the first step i would do is i would make a term limit on congress to one term period and not only that but you would have to take a term off if you were going to try to run again. Because one of the problems that has always been there is that it has become a career instead of... It's not public service. They love to say they're public servants. They aren't. They Mm -hmm. are public scam artists. who Career politicians. They are ones who... Honestly, there are some people in there who have never worked an honest day in their lives. And they will never... Working on a day in their lives because they've spent their whole life in Congress, but they spend their they spend a lot of time campaigning, doing whatever's needed to campaigning. You know, pressing the flesh back at home, not necessarily knowing what their constituents need, but pressing the flesh, doing whatever's needed to get elected again. And you have people like like uh, that whole. I don't know if you saw that list of people who have uh, the richest people in Congress and. I can't even remember who was number one. It wasn't even Nancy Pelosi. You know, like a lot of it came out and a lot of people on the right were saying, Look, see, there are all these people. But it was as many Republicans or maybe even more Republicans as there were Democrats. And they conveniently can make trades, stock trades, that are making them millions of dollars or preventing them from losing millions of dollars right before a Something happens.
1: I don't think politicians should be allowed to trade. Period.
0: That I would be fine. Be that, that be that
1: crypto, be that regular stocks, trade options. It doesn't matter. I don't think politicians should be allowed to public servants, as they call themselves. I would should be allowed to shouldn't be allowed to trade. Period. I would be fine with that because that would, I think that just that alone would take out so many people that are just in it for the money.
0: Yeah, it's a cushy position in every single imaginable way really is it's a cushy position you don't even have to do much you don't even uh, honestly you look at most of the people who get into congress and their ambition far exceeds any kind of talent that they actually have or skill that they actually have and so their ambition is what gets them there their ambition was what keeps them there you don't have to be you know it's we look at the aoc um that AOC kind of effect, where she was, there was an old movie called "Mr. Smith Goes to Washington," and he was supposed to be an average guy who ends up going uh, going to Congress. Um, that was kind of what the they tried to make up with her, but that even isn't really the case. She was kind of, I believe, bankrolled bankrolled there. But most of the people who even have some kind of real quote unquote pedigrees don't even belong there and quite frankly again may have may not have ever worked an honest day in their lives
1: yeah um there's a lot of people uh, like that there are some honest politicians that actually want to get things done but I think for the most part they get in there accidentally like it wasn't meant to be like especially with Donald Trump uh, they, they wasn't expected and and i think that played a huge part in why the election i'm just going to say it was it wasn't honest it wasn't honest and whether what you believe or not you just don't earn hundreds of tens of thousands of votes overnight in, instantaneously it just doesn't happen but whoever the political elite are they did not expect him to win and i think that can be said for more than just the the position of president of the united states I think that can be said for a lot of uh, positions. It's just not in a lot of... If it's happening on that big of a scale, like what's happening in our communities? Like what, pol- what politicians don't belong there because it wasn't the will of the people?
0: Well, I, I, I think that you that's an excellent point. But how many politicians, quote unquote, belong there because they've been voted on, especially locally, because nobody knows who they are.
1: You know, I think I feel like we did cover uh, quite a bit. We went from the time when you were growing up to politics today uh, and kind of where we are um, in general. So, yeah, I think that. So we're going to end it uh, because I do what I want. Uh, (laughs) So we covered everything. I feel I feel like we covered a lot, uh, a lot of good stuff. Um, So, yeah, any uh, any closing thoughts?
0: No, I just think that we have to be careful about jumping, um, jumping into a, the Democratic Republican labels or taking them at face value. Because I don't even think nowadays the, the the divide isn't even among that at all. It's again, I think they're somebody, and that's not my my statement, but two wings of the same bird. Uh, I really think that's the case, and so it's. Something that we have to we have to be careful of, but because I think what started this idea, of political correctness, and it may they may even say it was started as a satirical thing, like kind of a self uh, self referential joking thing. It became very serious in the '90s, and it became the thing that kept pushing society further and further apart. So the right got further
1: away from the left, and now we've we have what we have today labels right uh, I, I don't really like to associate with any label really um, but I do I do vote Republican I don't like to say I vote Republican I don't believe in parties in general because uh, as Washington said don't make parties uh, and then we did it anyways and now here we are and it was a huge mistake just making parties in general but I just think that's the natural way of politics in general having parties is i think some people see or most people see as necessary uh, to align yourself with a set of beliefs mm. well i think part <clears throat> of it's too
0: is that it's become in some ways a sporting thing so it's my team versus your team and the third parties are just some scrub team that you're never going to do. If you vote for them, you're throwing away your vote, and that's it. And that might be true in the whole scheme of things. I understand that, but, it, you know, the idea, if you're going to vote. And I don't honestly, I, I have I have never voted for a Democrat, but if there was a Democrat that I saw that actually was honest and, and I thought was going to to fight for America and all and do whatever I thought – I would be more inclined to do that. I just can't imagine that happening today. I just don't think. Because of
1: the schism that I brought it up uh, last episode, the Overton window just keeps shifting every year, and I just don't think it's possible. Uh, So I think that wraps it up. So next time, I think we're going to be talking about what I want to is uh, talk about AI and its future so stay tuned for that thanks for listening thank you for listening bye-bye